Aloha, Kavika Miles here. First off, before we get started, I want to give a big old mahalo nui loa for taking time out of your life to listen to book one of my dystopian saga. Secondly, this free audiobook podcast is only made possible by those of you who buy some of my damn merch. It's easy. Just go over to damnitiloveamerica.com and pick yourself up an American tea, a dystopian tea, or hell, even get a copy of the book and read along with me. Regardless, I really do hope you enjoy Saga of the Nine Origins. Mahalo. Saga of the Nine Origins by Kavika Miles Read by the author DIA Headquarters, December 25th, 2037. The painful screech, the burst of excruciating reverberation from the sirens, vibrates Carter to the core. Something's wrong, he thinks. These emergency procedures have never been rehearsed, and with no live drill on schedule, especially on Christmas, the only justified conclusion is real world. But what? Not only was the team supposed to be back, but according to his contacts on the outside, Nothing eventful occurred at the gathering. That was not supposed to be the case. Eliminating Governor Milley was the extreme circumstance, but the primary objective was to apprehend him. Either scenario would have spread news like a shot heard around the world. So, either nothing transpired, or intel is being silenced and suppressed, making Carter's sources unreliable. Regardless, the only logical outcome is that the mission failed, making the timing of this evacuation far from coincidental. Isla, let's go! Carter yells out. We can't leave, Isla pleads, holding her uncle's hand. Micah's not back! Micah's fine, Carter lies. Urgency is the priority here. Crisis management is their only option. Grabbing the emergency kit, Carter shuffles her out the door. He'll meet us at the rendezvous like we planned in our contingency. Hustling down the claustrophobic concrete corridors, Carter keeps as fast a pace as Isla's body can handle. The doctors told her to keep the stress levels to a minimum in these last weeks, but they clearly didn't know who they were talking to. What's going on, Uncle? I'm not sure, he replies, shoving a group of frantic teens out of the way. It can't be good, though, he then mumbles, unable to keep the lie entirely suppressed. Where are we supposed to go? Isla asks, her anxiety rising to the surface. This way, he says, confidently moving to the right. Truthfully, he has no idea, and rather than spiraling down the dark rabbit hole himself, he moves them into a corner room. Assessing the situation and catching their breath, the two watch the panic evolve and unfold in front of them. Lost children crying for their parents, hordes of people dropping and tripping over bags and boxes. No one has any idea what is going on. It's the kind of chaos their enemies would want. Before Carter can dwell any longer on the depressing scene, he gets a phone call. Looking to the screen, a wave of relief rushes over him. Micah, what happened? Sullivan, Micah manages to blurt out before gasping for air. What? Carter asks, already piecing the puzzle together, scraping together a conclusion that he hopes is wrong. 
Did you kill him? Negative. I'll explain in a minute. I've got Lisa and we're on our way. Get to the records room. How will you? Just get there. Is Isla with you? Micah then asks. Of course. Good. What about Tori and Connor? I have no idea where they are. Should I go find them? No. Just get to the records room and we'll figure... The line goes dead. Micah? Hopefully, Isla looks up to her uncle. Is he okay? He's fine. We're meeting him and Lisa in a few minutes. Lisa? H how is she with Micah? I was with her this morning. I was too, he thinks. Again, grabbing the emergency kit, Carter is about to shuffle Isla back into the chaos, but stops as he sees her aching expression. You okay? Before answering, she takes in a couple of deep breaths. I think so. She has a pretty good idea what just happened, but she decides to push on and ignore it. Are you sure? He asks, still looking to his niece. Isla nods her head confidently. If they're on their way to see Micah, she is more than okay. Stepping back into the hysteria, Carter and Isla push and shove, delivering a few deliberate punches in order to bypass the mainstream crowds. Stumbling into a more secluded corridor, within a matter of minutes, they're at the records room door. To Carter's surprise, Isla beats him there, and as she begins pounding on the metal surface, it immediately swings open where Isla falls into her husband's arms, squeezing Micah as if trying to pull herself through him. Isla, Micah soothes, the concern in his voice the heaviest Carter's ever heard. Looking to Carter, he motions for them to get inside. Bolting the door behind them, Carter turns to Micah, but before he can ask anything, his eyes catch Lisa's. Astonished, Carter tentatively steps forward, tenderly grabbing her battered and bleeding face, his eyes welling with tears. It looks worse than it is, is the first thing that comes to Lisa's mind. To be honest, she has no idea what she should say. She's still trying to process the last ten hours that came without warning. The stones, Micah quietly says, still holding his wife. Dan was right then, Carter mumbles. The conversation he had with Dan and Micah a couple months ago stepping out from the back of his mind. Micah nods, regretting the fact that none of them took their friend's warning to heart. All the signs were there for everyone to see, and for Micah, the red flags have always been blatantly waving. Out of denial, Micah ignored them on the premise that Sullivan was the lesser of two evils. He took the blue pill over the red. He was blinded by his past with Bella. Their history not only clouded his judgment with Sullivan, but it continues to haunt his life. He's yours, she says. You're telling me this now? Why? After how many years? Why now? He asks, unable to know if there's truth in anything she's telling him. It wasn't relevant until now, is her only response. <laughs> relevant? Micah scoffs. Since when do you care about relevance? Before Micah can let her answer and ascertain Bella's true intentions, he leaves for the mission. Where's Dan? Carter asks. Sullivan got him, Lisa says. Alive? Micah slowly shakes his head. I don't see a reason to just off him. Why not? Why wouldn't Sullivan just kill him? Carter demands. Pride? Micah quietly says. He likes to relish in his victories. Turning to the shelves of boxes amongst the empty slots, Micah finds his own metal container, pulls it out, and flips it open. Everything's here. The journal, Bible, music, home video, iPod, and key. After all is said and done, what he holds may be the only history that anyone will have left. Reaching in, Micah pulls out the one thing he regrets. Looking at the picture once more, at Caspian and the Stone family, Micah's thoughts return to Bella. He's yours, she says. Then, unsure if it's an impulse or inspiration, Micah hastily begins searching the shelves for Kim's box. Upon finding it, he opens it, dumping the contents of his own box inside. Here, he says, locking up Kim's box and handing it to Isla. The Stones and the Nine will be looking for Micah, wanting to erase him from history. So as a middle-fingered gesture, 
he places the traitorous photo in his own box along with his devil mask. This is all they'll find of him. We need to get out of here, Isla says, holding Kim's box to her chest. I can't, he shakes his head. I have to get Dan. No, she says, a tear falling down her cheek as she stares into his brown and blue eyes. I have to, Micah says. Placing his hands on Isla's face, he kisses her for what he fears could be the last time. I can't just leave him. No, Isla shrieks. You can't. I won't let... Isla begins, but abruptly stops and collapses to her knees in pain as she throws her arms around her stomach. Micah's eyes widen. Is she going into labor? Yes, Carter says, irritated that she didn't say something sooner when he asked. Get a towel or something. As if the last ten torturous hours were merely a bad dream, Lisa shoots to her feet, ripping her jacket off and throwing it to Carter. Go get Dan, she says, turning to Micah. We'll take care of her. I can't. My son. Go! Lisa orders, grabbing his collar and tossing him towards the door. Taking one last look at his wife, Isla stares right back before mouthing, I love you. Micah echoes the sentiment, and before he gives in to the need to stay, he exits the door, leaving to go after Dan. Amen. As he opens his eyes, staring at the artificial lights on the ceiling, an unfamiliar and overwhelming peace fills his soul to capacity, completely enveloping Dan. It's a serenity that Tori always told him existed, but never did he believe until this very moment. For a brief instant, the fog lifts and Dan forgets the inevitable future, the haunting past, and the destructive present. From Victoria leaving, taking their son, to her coming back, restoring the chasm that was left in his life. From the moment he met Micah on Governor White's campaign, to the second they were all betrayed by Sullivan and Bella. In this split second, Dan sees his life from the beginning to the end, understanding what he's done, what he must now do, and he'll be damned if his fight ends here as a prisoner of war. The first slam goes unheard, but the second and third don't. It's as if God pushes play on the present moment, rushing Dan back to reality. Shooting his head up from off the ground, Dan's mind wakes. Rolling onto his side for better leverage, he raises his arms back and up before swiftly bringing them down in an attempt to force his wrists free from the thin plastic cuffs. However, the binding just cuts into his wrists, and trying two more times, the rigid band only carves deeper into his flesh. As the banging continues, and with blood dripping from off his fingertips, Dan tries one more time. Exerting all the force he can muster, in an excruciating effort, Dan pulls his wrists apart, his shoulders firing as the thin plastic band continues to carve into his wrists. Miraculously, the band breaks and his hands are finally free. Moving to his feet, Dan stops as he hears the constant banging cease. Holding his breath, he then listens to what appears to be the sound of claws scratching the door. Quickly realizing what is really happening, Dan rolls to the side as an earth-shattering explosion rips the metal barrier from its hinges and across the room where it cracks the concrete wall. Dust, rubble, and debris fills the small room, but Dan is still able to make out the approaching silhouette. What the hell? he yells out. So you are here, a relieved Micah says. Stepping forward and whipping out a small knife, Micah cuts the rest of Dan free. I'm just lucky the door didn't take your head off. You're lucky. It's my head we're talking about, Dan chuckles as he stands brushing off the dust and cracking every joint up his spine. Where is he? Micah asks. I thought he'd be with you. He left me here to rot. Any idea where he's going? Oh yeah, that guy has a mouth on him. That he does, Micah mumbles. Pausing, Dan looks around as he analyzes the next steps. Is Lisa safe? Yeah, she's with Carter and Isla, Micah says, his tone changing the instant he says his wife's name. What's wrong? Isla's in labor. Now? Micah nods his head and takes in a deep breath. 
It's crazy over there. The emergency drill, Dan whispers, context revealing itself by the minute. The drill was never planned as a safety precaution. It was never even about creating mass mayhem. It was Bella's brainchild, and the mere fact that they haven't amended or reevaluated any aspect of the plan, assigned an oversight committee, or done anything but implement the actual alarm system proves now that security was never the goal. It's a purge. No matter how many times Sullivan tried to refute the conspiracy theories about the Denver International Airport, they were all true. The engineer specifically designed it as an underground trap with the sole purpose of genocide for its occupants. One way in, one way out. Where are we, Micah? Dan asks as they step outside the room. Pulling out his tablet, Micah opens the GPS. We're in the underground units beneath City Hall. Rounding a corner, the two make a sudden halt and turn back. Up ahead, half a dozen PPA guards block the solitary hallway. Concealing their approach, Micah slides out his hatchet and hands it to Dan, before taking a club in his right hand and his whip in his left. Micah is the first to advance into the narrow hallway. Without warning, Micah's whip lashes onto the neck of the soldier in the back, and yanking him forward, Micah pulls the man through his comrades. As the entire squad stumbles against the walls, Dan rushes forward, the hatchet finding its first victim as it is buried into the center of the soldier's chest. Quickly, a second is sought out, Dan digging his blade into the soldier's shoulder just below the neck. Releasing the whip, Micah pulls out a second club, and as a PPA private reaches for his firearm, his hand is shattered. Another is smart enough to realize there is no time for a gun, but he's not skilled enough to take on Micah hand-to-hand. Throwing a slack right cross, Micah easily dodges, and before the soldier can recover, Three of his ribs are broken and his jaw shattered. One of the last standing soldiers manages to raise a rifle at Micah's head, but before the trigger can be pulled, Dan brutishly slams the private into the wall. Reacquiring his whip, Micah grabs and breaks the knee of the final obstacle before he and Dan continue. Clicking the receiver in his ear, Micah dials Carter's number. Do you have Dan? Carter asks. Yeah, but we've run into some trouble. No surprise there, Carter says. How is she? Micah asks, hearing Isla's agonizing cry in the background. Have the PPA informed others of you and Dan, he asks, ignoring Micah's query. The kid needs to stay focused. That's the only way Micah will make it back to Isla alive. Does Sullivan know? How is she? Micah repeats. Micah, do they know? Carter's forceful tone erupts. Closing his bicolor eyes, Micah does his best to concentrate on the task at hand. I don't think so. Are Tori and Connor with them? Dan then prods. He holds out his hand towards Dan and listens to Carter. Get here as fast as you possibly can, Carter orders. The doors are about to close, and once they do, you'll be locked out. No, Micah yells. Unseen to the two warriors, a small squad hears Micah's echoing shout. Dan was right, Micah continues. The airport was a mistake. Bella organized the evacuation plan, and it's meant to kill everyone caught inside. In a matter of seconds, Carter's morale dies. With the mass panic outside, they are trapped. How could he be so foolish and not consider all factors? Societies, organizations, countries, they all collapse eventually, as has the division. The only thing that was salvageable were their lives. And now there is uncertainty in even that as the paralyzing fear sinks in, their escape blockaded by explosives and hysteria. Give it to me, Dan says. Keeping the earpiece in, Micah hands the phone to Dan. Carter, you need to listen. You're in the records room, correct? Yeah. Carter slowly says, trying to hold on to some sort of fight. Good, Dan sighs out. On the shelves, there should be a box labeled Kip Wright. It will be on the bottom row in the far left corner. Tell me when you find it. Rushing over to the shelves, Carter finds the box. Got it. Open it. Inside should be a transmitter with a single red button. Is it there? 
As soon as Dan asks, the squad of PPA soldiers rounds the corner, spotting the two agents. Do you see it? He repeats, motioning to Micah at the approaching threat. Masking their retreat up a flight of stairs, Micah throws three round metal balls that explode into asphyxiating clouds of smoke. Yeah, I see it, Carter says, pulling out the small, simple transmitter. Push the button. When you do, someone named Kip Wright will get the signal and meet you in the records room. Kip? How can I trust this guy? Because, Dan replies, he helped me build a secondary exit. Despite nobody believing his theories, the entire DIA was tactically asinine with a single outlet for the entire division and every American refugee. You paranoid bastard, Carter mumbles, a smile creeping across his face. Pushing the button, the transmitter lights up with a solid signal for five seconds before it begins to blink. It's pretty straightforward, and it will blink once the signal is received. Slowly and tentatively, fearing the answer, Dan takes a slow breath, a sense of hope compelling him to ask anyway. Where are Tori and Connor? I, I don't know, Carter sighs. He doesn't want to say it, but he also knows that there's no point in lying. Last I heard, they were with Bella and Caspian. Dan's fears begin to unravel. What was the last thing he said to her before he left? What were his last words to Connor? He'd like to think they were words of encouragement, or maybe they were just plain, repetitious phrases that every husband and father says before leaving home for a bit. Reaching the top, Micah opens the hatch that leads out of City Hall. Commander Stone! A PPA grunt shouts into his receiver from the bottom of the stairs. We have eyes on the prisoner. He's with someone. Mike and Dan don't wait to hear the rest of the conversation. Seeing that their exit is clear, the duo pulls themselves up from out of the underground tunnel, locking the hatch behind them. The silence of the outside air offers both peace and anxiety. On one front, Mike can think more clearly, filling his lungs with real air rather than the circulated oxygen of the underground tunnels. On the other end of the spectrum, there's a calm before the storm in the atmosphere that he simply cannot shake. Micah, Dan says, turning to his friend. Micah holds up his hand to Dan. Carter? Where are you? Carter's voice crackles. Just outside City Hall. Micah! Dan bellows, shoving him this time. Just a second, Carter. What? I need to go. I, I, I can't lose them, Dan whispers, his eyes showing the overall angst Micah feels. Tori and Connor were with Bella. Sullivan said, he said, he can't finish the thought, the very idea of choking him, his perceived fears transpiring into reality. The only thing keeping Micah sane in this moment is knowing that Carter and Lisa are with his wife and soon-to-be baby boy. How can he deny Dan from having the same peace of mind? Tossing him in the backup key to his bike, Micah says, meet up in the mountains outside the district. Catching it, Dan briefly feels that maybe it's a better idea to find another means of transportation. Nah, he says, tossing it back. I've got this. As Micah watches his friend leave, he turns and heads towards his motorcycle. Carter, he says, put my wife on the line. Dan, worrying for the safety of his family, has caused Micah to reflect on the dark truth of his own situation. For now, Isla and his baby are safe. Micah will do everything in his power to prevent what he fears is coming and make it back to them. In the end, though, Micah's a realist. Jogging his way around the corner and towards his escape, Micah slows, his heart dropping as he stops. He counts two dozen PPA soldiers surrounding his motorcycle and blocking the route that leads to his only escape. He's arrived. Slipping off Micah's bike, Sullivan steps forward, rubbing his hands together. Micah? Isla's voice finally comes into his earpiece. As exhausted as she sounds, his name spoken from her mouth puts Micah into a more composed state. How's it going, love? He asks, studying every possible angle, but only finding one. One is all he needs.
I wish you were here. Isla cries out. I will be. Just keep breathing, Micah says, verifying the details of his sole option. Lisa and Carter know what they're doing. Is that Isla? I can't believe the luck I'm having today, Sullivan crows. Tell her I say hi. Briefly contemplating Sullivan's request, Micah decides to go with it. A few words can offer a lot of information and time. Isla? Sullivan says hi. Where are you, Micah? Isla asks, the panic in her voice rising. Everything's all right. I'm just talking with Sullivan. Pulling out his sidearm and pointing it at Micah's head, Sullivan motions towards the ground. Knees. Now. Defiantly, Micah stays on his feet. Are you okay with the name we talked about? He asks his wife. Micah, I need you. How can I do this? She thinks. I can't do this alone. Isla, are you okay with the name? Yes, she breathes out, a heavy contraction on its way. It's perfect, but I need you with me. I can't do this by myself. Down, Sullivan repeats, his commanding yell echoing off the surrounding buildings and concrete structures. Slowly, Micah kneels, formulating and perfecting his plan. You're not alone, Isla, he says. You have Carter and Lisa, your uncle and aunt. I'll keep this real simple, Micah. Sullivan begins, stepping closer, the barrel of his pistol touching Micah's head. Join us, or die. But I need you, Micah, Isla cries out. I need you here. Micah stares his enemy in both his eyes, and Sullivan loves it. Seeing defeat and anger in the eyes of a formidable foe is a rare opportunity. Dan, he's nothing to shy away from, but Micah, he's the prize any hunter wants. The corners of Sullivan's lips turn up ever so slightly, as he imagines the kind of pain he'll be causing Isla, taking away her boy's father before he's even entered the world. Is she pleading for you? He asks, pulling back the hammer of his firearm, placing the cold metal tip of the barrel between Micah's brown and blue eyes. Hope you said your goodbyes. Isla, Isla... <coughs> the line goes dead. With his last words being incomplete, Isla holds back a flood of tears, using the agony to engage her core and push their child out into the world. I can see him, Lisa exclaims, grabbing a towel and canteen of water. Come on, dear, keep pushing. There's a sudden knock on the door, and before Carter can get up to answer, the entrance slides open where a young kid, who appears no older than ten, walks in. Who the hell are you? Carter yanks the boy inside, slamming the door behind him. Kip, the boy states in a surprisingly calm manner, holding up an exact replica of the blinking transmitter. You're a kid. Teenager. I'm 14, thank you very much. Dan sent a 14-year-old boy? Oi, Kip yells out. Back off, old man. I'm a freaking genius, all right? I helped build that second exit. Kip abruptly stops, realizing he might have just leaked sensitive information. Dan told you about the exit, right? Carter nods his head. Yeah, he did. Good. Listen, I helped Dan the Buff Man build that. Dan the Buff Man? Carter can't believe what he's dealing with right now. I helped him, all right? Kip throws his arms up in the air. Cut me some slack. This brain did all the heavy lifting, he then says, jabbing his finger into the side of his head. Carter, Lisa shouts. I need your help. What's going on? Kip asks. My niece is having a baby, Carter says, rushing to Lisa's aid and grabbing the towel. Expecting to help coach or calm Isla down, to his complete surprise, Lisa gently hands him the crying newborn. Having no kids of his own, Carter's never had the experience of seeing and holding something so new and miraculous. His eyes, his face, his tiny fingers, and rising chest. Everything about Isla's little boy is working, breathing, and living on its own. Tenderly, Carter proudly squeezes the boy to his chest, and as he does, the baby stops crying 
feeling the love and security of great Uncle Carter. Hi, Jax, Carter whispers, the infant locking eyes with him. And as a tear trickles down Carter's cheeks, the chaos of the day, the tragedy of the country, is far from his thoughts. The only thing that matters is that this child feels loved. Wait, what's going on? Kit blurts out, nearly losing his lunch upon spotting the bloody baby in Carter's arms. Here, Carter says, gesturing for Kip to hold the baby. Nuh-uh, nope, no way in hell am I touching that thing. Freaking gross. Just do it. I've got to make sure my niece is okay. Carter's booming command shocks Kip into going against his instinct to avoid anything as grotesque as the gore-covered baby is. However, Kip awkwardly extends his arms where Carter lays Jax. What's his name? Name, Kip gags as he asks. Jax, Isla manages to say. Well, Jax, Kip begins, looking down at the putrid infant. You stink, buddy. Rushing over to Isla's side, Carter grabs her hand. Micah, he asks, needing to know what happened, having seen her pain change after her conversation with him. Shaking her head, Isla shrugs. I don't know. What, what do you, what, you, you don't know? Rather than repeating her uncertainty, Isla just wipes her eyes with the back of her hands before reaching out for her boy. I'm okay, uncle. Really, I just want to hold my baby. Jumping on Isla's offer, Kip practically tosses the child into her arms, wiping his hands free of the permeating smell. Nasty. He's beautiful, Isla tenderly corrects as she looks into Jax's eyes for the first time, affectionately kissing the top of her son's head. Nodding his head in agreement, Carter takes his niece's hand. Kip rolls his eyes. These people are freaking blind, he mumbles. Listen, I hate to break up the family bonding, but we gotta get out of here. What about Micah? Lisa asks. Isla opens her mouth, but clamps it shut as the tears make a resurgence. He didn't make it, Carter whispers. With her words just as frozen as Isla's, Lisa's hands shoot across her mouth, her gaze resting on the fatherless child. Who's Micah? Kip asks. He's my husband, Isla manages to say, making sure she uses the present tense. She still has hope. The gears in Kip's head begin to turn before clicking together. That famous devil dude? That'd be him, Carter affirms. That guy is my freaking hero, Kip hollers, his eyes lighting up. I don't believe it. Nothing could kill that guy. With too much disappointment for Carter, he grabs the metal box, Micah left, and tosses it to Kip, the weight alone nearly knocking the kid over. Then, together, Carter and Lisa help the weak but very alive Isla to her feet. So, Kip Wright, Carter begins, where is this exit? Out of breath, Dan approaches the entrance of the burning airport, the entire facility being destroyed before his very eyes and before the eyes of the entire nation. Panic ensues everywhere as fires explode out of windows, doors, and the underground crevices that he knows leads to the tunnels. Oi, Dan the Buffman! That stupid name is music to Dan's ears. Kip smart. There was never a doubt in Dan's mind that he would get them out safely. Kip, where's Tori and Connor? Dan asks. I haven't the slightest clue. I got them out, though. Kip says with an exhausted Lisa, Carter, Isla, and baby Jax in tow. Carter, Dan says, turning to his mentor. Where are my wife and son? I don't know, Carter says, just as defeated by the question as was when Dan asked the first time. Enraged and disappointed beyond repair, Dan grips Carter by the throat, ready to break every limb. However, in the chaotic messes, the bobbing hair of his son rustles in the crowd and freezes Dan in place. Connor! Dad! Connor jerks his head towards the sound of his dad's voice, reaching out before his arms are slapped down. Shut up! Bella shrieks. Don't, Mommy. Don't hurt Connor. Dad! Connor repeats, ignoring Bella's violence. I said shut up! A wild slap whooshes, only to be abruptly stopped inches from Connor's cheek. 
Don't you dare touch my son. In a solitary punch, Dan collapses Bella's ribcage, and for good measure, kicks her knee backwards, dropping her to the ground. As Dan picks his son up in his arms, before he can even turn to run back to Carter and the group, the all-too-familiar cackle sounds above the panicked mass. You really don't know what you're doing, do you? Bella asks, realigning her ribs and cracking her knee back into place, standing as if Dan had done nothing. Finally, she can show the world what she really is capable of. Her surviving that explosion of Sullivan's back on that mission was not a mere coincidence, but rather a marvel of science as she stands here now, unbroken and stronger than any natural man. From within her coat, Bella whips out a six-inch blade and slashes at Dan. Dropping Connor out of harm's way, a gaping gash opens across Dan's chest, blood spitting out onto the concrete. She slashes again in an aim towards his throat. Dan barely blocks the kill shot, and with his wrist against hers, he throws Bella's arm down, bringing an arcing elbow up into her jaw. The cracking blow is as soft as a pillow, and rotating her body, Bella flanks an unsuspecting Dan, hitting three precise spots with her free hand. The floating rib, the pressure points inside his armpit, and his neck where the sternum and clavicle meet. Daddy! Connor shouts, seeing his father drop to his knees. Looking to his son, Dan attempts to call out and tell him that everything will be okay. But before he can, Dan's words are swiftly cut short as the world around him goes black. Dad! A little boy calls out. Get up, Dan, he tells himself. Get up and off your ass. With his eyes shooting open, Dan gasps, charred air and burnt dust filling his lungs. Tori! He mumbles, coughing as he pushes himself up to a sitting position. Dad! The little boy cries again. Connor! Ignoring the weight of his body's agony, Dan gets to his feet, scanning the charred horizon for his son. Where are you? Dad! Unable to see anything or anyone, Dan gazes on the bodies of countless victims under concrete and metal, fearing that the supplication he's hearing is just a haunting echo. Falling back to the earth, he begins crying. It's softly at first, but as the agonizing, flashing images of his son being taken showcase his mind, his audible weep begins accenting the festering fires of the debris. Tori! He then tries calling out, knowing that this, too, is a futile plea. If she wasn't with Connor, that's explanation enough that whatever Dan's parting words were for her, they were the last ones she heard from her husband. Dad! Sitting back up, Dan is shocked into reality, recognizing that the call isn't a ghost tormenting his failures as a father and husband but rather is the call of a real-life child. Hello? He calls back. Dad? The boy cries, more urgent than ever. Searching the carnage before him, in the distance, Dan spots a lost little black child. Over here! Whipping his head around, the boy doesn't see his dad, but a rather muscular white guy waving him down. Hesitant towards the frighteningly large white man, the fear of being alone weighs heavier than his prejudices and is enough of a motivator for Kai to run over to the only living individual he's seen in hours. Hey, buddy, Dan says, grabbing the frightened kid. You okay? Kai shakes his head. No. Where's my dad? Not having the heart to tell the kid the truth quite yet, Dan looks up from the child's gaze and out to the destruction of the airport. I'm not sure, son. Let's go see if we can find him.